Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. morning, everyone. How are we this morning? Great, great. I heard a, a great, great out there. Wow. That's pretty good. What? That's a, I want that person to pray for me, whoever that was. It's always a blessing to be here with everyone on Sunday morning, the Lord's Day. I'm eager to get into the Word with everyone. Just to give everybody a heads up of what we're doing, um, you know, I delivered a message at the beginning of the year in January, kind of um, laying out what would be our direction as far as, you know, that we would be doing expository preaching, preaching through books of the Bible, and uh, only on the occasion would we take breaks and uh, do some more topical sermons, and so... We are going to return to a book study um, probably next week or the week after, um, and we've just been kind of um, addressing some things that um, I, I really feel have been, uh, through God's word, have been timely. You know, a lot of people have been um, stressed, anxious, uh, fearful even uh, during this time, even if you're not, even if you're of the camp of, well, COVID-19 is not real. Um, even those people have been stressed and anxious and worried and, and having to deal with all the effects of what's going on in our world. Um, so there's incredible turmoil all around us, but how many of you this morning know for the child of God we can have perfect peace? Even in the midst of the worst situations. And so, who better to hear from than God's word during this time? And I think our, our passage is only today is only going to further emphasize that truth. Uh, so if you would, turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Lamentations. What is that book? Lamentations. It is a real book in the Bible. It's uh, between Jeremiah and Ezekiel. We're going to be in Lamentations chapter 3. So it's right after Jeremiah, right before Ezekiel. Lamentations chapter 3. We're going to be reading um, a good selection of verses here today. Um, It's going to be verses 16 through 26. So if you would... As we read God's word, please stand with us. Uh, We're going to read Lamentations chapter 3, verses 16 through 26. This is the inspired word of God. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. 
So I say, my endurance is patient, perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've spent this morning singing your praises and speaking to you and and lifting up our prayer and our voices to you. And Lord, it's now that we, we sit to open our ears to hear from you, Lord. So God, I pray that you would give us all eyes to see and ears to hear great and wonderful things in your word. I pray, Lord, that I would be nothing more than a vessel in the hands of the Almighty to accomplish your purposes this morning. And I pray that we would leave here with a greater, bigger view of just how great you are. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You be seated. His mercies are new every morning. How many of you have heard that passage before? Anybody? Wow, only four people. Wow. It's made its way onto a lot of cups and Facebook memes, so I'm surprised. Well, it's a very popular verse that God's mercies are new every morning. And we say it, we speak even of the steadfast love of the Lord. We speak of, of how good, good of a father this God is, but do we know why? Can we express and articulate exactly what makes this Father so good? Exactly in what way is the Lord's love steadfast? And this is what we will be examining today. Our title, as you see on the screen, is that He is Faithful. It's a simple statement and certainly not a groundbreaking statement You've heard that, you've said it, but today my aim is for us to leave here today really knowing what that means, that I really understand what it means that God is faithful. So let's start with understanding what's going on here in this passage. It started off really sad, did it not? He has made my teeth ground on gravel, my goodness. That is, that's awful. This is, this is really painful. Well, it's in the name, the name Lamentations. The book, Lamentations, is largely believed to have been written by Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. You're all familiar with the book Jeremiah. Um, it was the book right before Lamentations. And that prophet is often called the weeping prophet. Believe it or not, 
Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, is more than just, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. A plan to prosper you. A plan to give you a Mercedes. A plan to give you a big home. It's more than that. Actually, most of Jeremiah is really, really heart-wrenching. The majority of Jeremiah is full of scathing rebuke from the Lord to his own people. And because of this, because of the content of that book, often Jeremiah would find himself weeping and broken before the Lord over the condition, the spiritual condition of the people. And here we are again in Lamentations. And once again, Jeremiah is broken because of the condition of Israel. Lamentations is made up of five chapters, and it's five individual laments. So a lot of books in the Bible are titled what they are because of the author or because of the audience, right? So Ephesians, we call Ephesians Ephesians because it's written to the Ephesians. Uh, First and second Peter, Peter wrote those. Um, The Psalms are written because of the content. What is in the book? is what then gets the title. So the Psalms are called the Psalms because it's made up of, can anyone guess? Y'all are smart. It's made up of Psalms. And in the same way, Lamentations is called Lamentations because it's made up of five individual laments. Now a lament, and it's important that we understand this background in order to really understand our text, Uh, Because it's going to shed so much light on what's really going on here. But a lament is more than just a a sad story, right? It's it's more than just a, a prayer, even. A lament in Jewish tradition was actually more of a a sad, sorrowful protest before the Lord. It was a a person, a people that would protest their sadness and their sorrow and their brokenness before God. So we see that here. He has made my teeth ground on gravel. And he's just expressing and lamenting over all that has transpired. Something interesting about this is that in the Hebrew Bible, back before they had um, phones and stuff, there was a time before phones in case you weren't aware of that, uh, before they had phones and they, they had to write the, the word on scrolls, they actually called this book in Hebrew, the word meant how. Because chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 4 both start with the word how. It is a rhetorical statement where the writer is saying how great our distress is, how great Our sorrow is how lonely the city sits, empty of people, as he says in chapter 1. How great is our devastation. And so they called it how, because it was a protest of, of great sorrow. This is what a lament is, and it's a form of poetry. So if you look at your Bible you'll actually see that the words are not arranged in just typical paragraphs. The words are arranged in stanzas. And that's because you're looking at poetry. 
That's what a lament was. It was a, a poetic protest before the Lord because of great profound sorrow. And here Jeremiah takes his pen to paper and, and begins to express his grief and express his protest before God because of what has happened. How must Jeremiah feel? You see, Lamentations is taking place after Israel has just been destroyed. King Nebuchadnezzar came in and wiped out Israel and took the people out into captivity. But the crazy thing about this is that Jeremiah had spent his entire ministry saying, repent, repent, repent. Turn back from your sin to the Lord because wrath is coming. He is soon to execute his judgment on you, my people. Please, please turn. This is why he was so full of sorrow because as all of us often do, they ignored the cries of the prophet. Yeah, whatever. You've been saying that forever, Jeremiah. You always say stuff like that, Jeremiah. You prophets always say things like that. We're fine. Thank you. And now we find ourselves in the wake of devastation. God fulfilled his promise. Because Israel did not turn back to him. So he executed judgment. Destroyed the city. Took the people out into captivity. And here is Jeremiah weeping before the Lord protesting his sorrow before the Lord. How must he feel to have seen? It's his worst nightmare. God, what if I go tell these people this, this great and awful thing and they ignore me? But he was a faithful prophet and he carried out the word of the Lord. And now the city is in destruction. Imagine the grief in the heart of Jeremiah. If you had just listened to me, if you would have just turned away and stopped bowing down to those idols, you would still be here. We would still be carrying on. We would still have the favor of the Lord if you would have just listened to me. And so now he's protesting before the Lord. Why? Because the people have been warned over and over and over and over for hundreds of years. See, Jeremiah wasn't the first to say this. As a matter of fact, if you'll flip in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 28, this is information that the Israelites would be acquainted with. They, they knew what were the repercussions for not following what the Lord had commanded. Deuteronomy chapter 28, and we're just going to look at verse 59. This section is called the blessings and the curses. But Deuteronomy 28, 59, it says, Then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring, listen to this, extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sicknesses grievous and lasting. Verse 64. And the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. 
You see, Israel was warned if they didn't follow the law of the Lord, what's going to happen? God himself is going to strike them with sicknesses and with grievous grievous situations. And he's going to scatter the people that he brought them to and scatter them among the nations and make them slaves and exiles. See, if you remember, God brought Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. They were a people who didn't have a possession. They didn't have a land. They didn't have a place to go. They were slaves. And God brought them out of Egypt into the land flowing with milk and honey and said that I am your God. Obey my commands and all will go well with you. But if you do not, I will strike you with afflictions, extraordinary afflictions. The land that I brought you into to give you, to make you a people, I will take you out of. I'll take it back. And I'll strike you. And I will make you slaves to other nations. And here, now, this has been fulfilled. Israel is now in Babylonian exile. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah 29.11, that you're all familiar with, That's what God is prophesying yet again. Sandwiched between all of of the talk of God taking them out and making them exiles is 29.11, that I will, I know the plans I have for you. But surrounding that verse is God telling them, I'm going to make you slaves if you don't turn back. Turn back to me. You might say, well, that sounds like a really mean God. I thought God was love. God is love. Everything that God does is love because it is inherent to his nature. And you see, this is why he must punish sin. You parents, you love your child, so you strongly dislike it when they disobey you, yes? You love your children, so you would hate someone to hurt them, yes? And you see, by nature of what love is, you must also hate. Because of what love is, I must hate evil. I love my wife, so I hate bad things to happen to her. Many of you know she recently sprained her ankle. And it's a small thing, but because I love her, I hated that for her. Does that make me less loving? No. You would say, well, yeah, of course that's true because you love her. And in the same way, God, at a much more profound level that we could ever imagine, God loves us, so he must hate that which destroys us. So you see all through Jeremiah, he's saying, please, The door is still open. Please come back to me. Come back to me. Come back to me. If he wasn't loving, the moment they failed, what would happen is he would rain down that judgment. But instead, our God is long-suffering and patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Turn back to me, God was saying. So Israel was warned. They knew quite well what would happen. 
They knew that God is holy, God is righteous, that God is just, that God does not play with his glory, that the Lord does not play the church games that we often play. This God is holy. This God is not like other gods, but most importantly, this God is alive. That means that he can make good on the promises, both good and bad, that he makes because he is the living God. Hebrews tells us that it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And now in our book, all that has been prophesied has been fulfilled. All that Jeremiah spoke under the direction of the Lord has come to pass, and Israel is a desolation. It's been completely annihilated at the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar. The great covenant people of Yahweh have now become a stench in the nostrils of all the nations. All that God promised would happen in Deuteronomy 28.30 has come to pass. Now, it is with this in mind that I want us to see from our text that God's faithfulness is not situational. You see, the picture so far is very bleak, is it not? But God's faithfulness is not situational. God is faithful because God is faithful. It is who he is. It is his nature. And it's with that in mind that we will look at our first heading. And we will see from our text the hope that was lost in the writer's heart. Why was this hope lost? This is verses 16 through 20. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cover in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. And here it is. I say my endurance has, patient, has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. My endurance and my hope have perished from the Lord. Is that not a striking thing to read in the Bible? In chapter 1, he says, How lonely sits the city that was full of people. Can you imagine what this must have been like? We're so accustomed to just thinking of the blessings and the love of God that we never think of God this way. We, we, we picture God as this tolerant teddy bear in the sky who just wants to give you everything that you want if you just ask him nicely. But that's not the way that God has revealed himself in the scriptures. And we see that over and over, time and time again, that this God is very serious. He's loving, yes, absolutely. But he's not only loving. He's also holy and righteous and just. And it's because of that that Israel has experienced what they have experienced. Because he has set before mankind a law and he commands us to obey it. And the consequences of rebellion are unfathomable. As we can see in our text. Have you ever felt this way before? At the hand of God. 
That He has made your teeth grind in gravel? That He has extinguished your hope? I would venture to say that all of us would say no. God has never made me feel that way. But Israel is in this situation now. Why? Because they broke the covenant that God had made. You see, we think that God is easy come, easy go. and He's fine with you just kind of doing your own thing as long as you occasionally throw him 10% of your money. But he's very serious when he said, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. I am the Lord your God. You shall love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He wasn't saying it would be really nice if you would do this, guys. Please. Please love me. He's not a needy ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend, whatever. He's not. He is self-sufficient. He has no need of us, but he invites us into relationship, does he not? We see that all throughout Jeremiah. He didn't want it to come to this. He was trying to get Israel to come to their senses and turn away from their wickedness. But they broke their covenant. Exodus 6-7, the covenant is set forth. He says, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. This is the covenant that God made with Israel, that he would be their God and they would be his people. And can you guess which of the two parties broke their end of the agreement? It wasn't God. Was the people. And isn't Israel just a depiction of how we are? Isn't Israel just a picture of how all of us are? Yes, God, we're in this. We're 100%. Let's go, God. And a week later, our Bibles are already collecting dust. A week later, we've already forgotten about God. We've already forgotten about our promise. We're moving on. We're carried away with all the the cares of the world. What about our covenant with Him? What about our relationship with Him? He said, I will be your God. You will be my people. As we hear from the pen of Jeremiah, he has now seen what this God is capable of and He has seen just how serious God takes his covenant. They have been through so much that he is writing here in verse 17 and 18 that his soul no longer has peace. He's forgotten what happiness even is, that endurance is patience, has perished, and even his hope. You can almost picture Jeremiah sitting in the aftermath after King Nebuchadnezzar carried away the last family and sitting there and, and weeping and looking to the sky and saying, God, how, how could this happen? 
How could this happen to us? I warned them, God, I did my part. I warned them to turn to you, God. Why didn't they listen to me? How great is our sorrow, God. It's easy to become overcome with hopelessness when we focus on tragedy, isn't it? See, as long as Jeremiah was just looking at the ashes and maybe smoke was still coming up from the ruins, maybe he could still hear cries off in the distance. And as long as he was focused on that, I had no hope. Because how can I find hope in this disaster around me? Who can have hope in the midst of such great tragedy? Especially knowing that he warned these people to turn back from the Lord and they didn't listen. And that's why this happened. He knows Israel has been unfaithful to their end of the covenant that they made with God. And all is lost. Destruction as far as the eye can see. But ironically, here in verse 18, we get the first tiny glimmer of hope. You see, you'd have to read all of chapter 3 to know this, but this is the first time that he refers to God as Lord. But it's not just Lord. Some of you know, we've talked about it before, that when you see Lord in, in small capitals here in your Bible, it means Yahweh. It's God's covenant name. It means Yahweh. Before, in chapter 3, in this lament, he's just saying, he has done this, he has done this. And it's this picture of God being far away and not near and loving. He's not remembering God as this covenant God who has made a covenant to love this people of Israel. He just knows him right now as punisher and judge. But for the first time, he brings up his name again and says, Yahweh, my hope from Yahweh. And this is where we see his hope restored. In Exodus 3, God is speaking to Moses from the burning bush, telling him that he is to go to Egypt to free his people. And, and when Moses asks him, who shall I say sent me? God says, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. The Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And this is the important part. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations as Yahweh. I am who I am. The great I am. Now, why does all of this matter? What is this guy even talking about? Am I reading some of your minds? It's okay. We went the scenic route. But we, had, we have to cover that ground because you have to see that up to this point, Jeremiah is only looking at one side of the picture. And it's easy to do this when we're in the midst of tragedy. It's easy to do this when, when something awful has happened in our life as we look at one side of the picture, our side. 
And all that he's remembering is that we broke our covenant. We have done this. We have done this. Look at this disaster. But now that he begins to, for a moment, remember Yahweh, this is where theology matters and why learning and knowing these deeper things of God matters because in the midst of the most horrendous suffering, Jeremiah is able to call to mind that God has not failed. It's not Yahweh who has broken covenant with us. It, this isn't happening because Yahweh has been a liar. This has not happened to us because Yahweh has suddenly decided not to love us anymore. This isn't happening because Yahweh fell asleep. Yahweh went on a trip. He's on vacation somewhere. No, actually quite the opposite. This is happening to us because Yahweh is faithful. See, God, Yahweh, is holding his end of the covenant by executing judgment on the people. And I know it doesn't seem like it, but in doing this, he is showing them his love. You see, they're not dead. There's a lot of disaster. The city's ruined. They were shipped off as slaves. But they're not dead. And Jeremiah is remembering. Verse 21, this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope that the steadfast love of Yahweh never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. See, they woke up that morning. There's still life in their lungs. They're not dead yet. And as long as that heart is still beating and those lungs are still moving, there is still hope. And in this, God is showing his steadfast love to his people. Now, this doesn't mean that God's love never changes. It does mean that. But it means more than that. It means that God has committed on his end to love his people. How many of you know that God's not a liar? How many of you know that God doesn't break his promises? Even though Israel broke their promise to the point that God has had now to execute his judgment on them. God has still been faithful the entire time. His steadfast love has never changed. Can you even wrap your head around that? Could you imagine being married and over and over and over and over you tell your spouse, don't cheat on me, don't cheat on me, don't cheat on me. And they continue to do it. Could you imagine waking up the next day and saying, I love you, let's go renew our vows. You've been unfaithful to me for the first 30 years. But I believe these last five or 10 years that you'll be faithful. Let's go renew our vows. Let's, let's start over here. 
Could you imagine having that kind of love in your heart? Think about that. How much hurt would be there? But that's how God loves us. That we're consistently unfaithful. How many times have you broken your promise to the Lord? How many times has your Bible gone unread? How many times have prayers gone unprayed? How many times? Yet, guess what? You're here. Guess what? You're breathing. You're alive. You know what that means? Is that God's mercies for you were brand new this morning. Does that make sense to anyone? How is this possible? How could this God love us this way? We're continuously unfaithful to Him. We continuously do the wrong thing over and over and over, but He continues to give you life and breath and everything else, and He keeps extending you the hand, saying, Come to me. Come to me. I know you did it again. I knew you would. Come to me. I will forgive you. I will extend you mercy. I will give you grace. Come to the fountain of inexhaustible love. Come to me. Day after day after day after day after day after day after day. For those of you who are already in Christ, how much have you messed up since that day? you're being honest you would say daily minute by minute you know why because the lord told us that the greatest command is to love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul and strength not for one second have any of us ever done that in our life not for one second there's no way we can do that that's how magnificent his grace and his mercy is towards us And this is where we learn that God's love is not hingent upon you. God doesn't love you because he saw something so awesome in you. He's God. What could you give him that he could possibly ever need? He has need for nothing. But God loves because he chooses to. And if you will receive that, it will free you. That God's love towards you is not because you're awesome and because you're so good at being disciplined and because you're so talented and you're so this and you're so that. You're not. He is. You can't possibly be to the level of perfection that he asks and requires of us. You can't do it. He did it for you. His name is Jesus. He's the one who walked this earth absolutely fulfilling every last command in this book. He was good because you can't be good. He fulfilled it. Even the love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, he fulfilled that for every second of his life. You know what? When he went to the cross, he had a list of names. He bore 
your sins on that cross. In doing that, he didn't know only the sins you've committed before. He knew everything you would ever do. Let's say you live to be 180 years old. He knows everything you will do until you take your last breath. He knows how much you'll fail. And you know what? He still says, come to me. I love you. Give me that one. That one who doesn't ever measure up. That one who never keeps his promises. That one who can't stop drinking. That one who's a drug addict. Give me that one. Why? Because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And he can display that in the weakest among us. Look how great I am. I continue to love this person completely, totally, wholly. If you will receive this this morning, it will set you free from Christian duty. And you will instead delight in Christ. You will begin to see he was good because I can't be good. You'll begin to see I can trust him because his mercy never fails. I woke up today. I'm here. I'm alive. Yes, my life's in shambles, but praise God I'm alive. Praise God I'm here. Praise God I fail every day. He never does. Praise God, I'm constantly unfaithful, but great is His faithfulness. Praise God, it doesn't depend on me. He's already paid the bill. Praise God, I'm alive in Him. Let's stand. We didn't get to our last heading today, but it's okay. I just want to say that nowhere do we see this more than in the cross of Christ. All that is written in the book of Lamentations pales in comparison to what Christ endured on the cross for you and I. All the suffering that's depicted in Lamentations is a far cry from what Jesus went through. And though the Lord will never forsake his children, it is on the cross that Christ cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? See, it was on that cross that he was bearing your sin, all of your sin, every last one of them. Trust that there has never been a sinner too sinful for the grace of Jesus. Because he took it all on him. Nailed to that cross where he absorbed the wrath that you and I deserve. The Father put our sin on him, treating Jesus as though he were us. 
so that he could put Christ's righteousness on us and treat us like we were him and put us in this place of undeserved mercy and grace. This morning, if you do not know this love for yourself, if you have never tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if you've only known of God's love in theory and in speech, and because preachers talk about it, but you've never tasted of it, I would implore you this morning to repent and believe the gospel. Put your faith in Christ this morning, and you will be saved.